You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. set up for ourselves in our hearts things that we worship. We have set up in our heart idols that we might worship, things that we may call good and look good. Children, marriages, jobs, careers, etc., etc. We have set those things in our heart and they become high places because they become the object of our worship. What items or people in your life are idols to you? It's so easy to place people or things that make us happy in the moment above God. But ultimately, they will all fail us. God won't fail us. He's always there, waiting to love us even in our weakness. Today, Pastor Dave shows us the downside of having idols in our lives. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Kings chapter 14 as he begins his message, Half-Hearted Commitment. You are Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you. What a blessing you are to us, Lord, as we worshiped you in spirit and truth, as we just Stand before you and gaze at your beauty, Lord, and tell you how much we love you. Our hearts are just overwhelmed by you. Your mercy is incredible, and it's new every morning. And, Lord, your grace continues to abound towards us, Father. Your love knows no bounds. It continues to flow towards us all the time. And we're so grateful, Lord, that you've called us your children, that you've placed us in a place of beauty and power all through Jesus Christ. We're so thankful, Lord. We're so thankful that you had a plan before the foundations of the world to redeem us and to bring us back to you. But Lord, it cost you dearly. And Father, we'll never, never let that become blasé. We will always be overwhelmed by what Jesus did on the cross. So Lord, we thank you. Lord, we ask now a blessing upon this time of study May our hearts be filled with you and your word. May it come clear to us. And may we see things in here that we can apply to our own lives. And we so often pray, Lord, and I don't want to be glib when we pray it, but Lord, I want us to be doers of your word. I want us to be able to apply your word to our lives and see where we're in need, Father. Oh, how we need you. So we thank you, Lord, for this time. We ask that you would bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the time frame that we have been studying now in 2 Kings is approximately, right now to where we are, about 200 years. It's about a time frame of 200 years, which is where we are right now in tonight's study. But this time in the history of the entire nation was one of the darkest and most blood-stained times in the history of the entire nation Israel. One commentator put it this way, and I really like this. Quote, this time period reeked of selfish intrigue, bloodshed, moral decay, 
and repeated rebellion against the law of the Lord, unquote. Kind of sums it up as to what we're looking at here. And if you're a student of God's word and you've read through 2 Kings, you know it's not going to get much better. It's not going to get much better. In fact, only several kings are going to come out looking good like they actually followed the Lord. The nation Israel is split into two kingdoms. One kingdom in the north governed by kings who have led people into idol worship, making golden calves and placing them in various parts of the kingdom and having people worship there instead of going to Jerusalem, which was the place where God had ordained worship and sacrifice. The other kingdom in the south were following the Lord, but only half-heartedly. They weren't really following the Lord because they weren't really following him with all their heart. They haven't a, made a total commitment to him. And sadly, this picture of ancient Israel is not much different than what I see happening in the world today. I see it happening everywhere, including in our beloved United States. I see our beloved country crumbling because the majority of the country is in rebellion against God. They're in rebellion against anything that is moral, anything that is good. In fact, evil has become good, and good has become evil. And I see that happening in our lifetime, and it breaks my heart. It saddens me. But as I read through scriptures, I realize that maybe these things have to happen for us to get to where we are. I don't know, but it's very sad. When I see a country that was founded on the Word of God, founded on Christianity, founded on those principles, to where we are now. It's absolutely incredible. But as we come now to tonight's study, our new king that we're going to look at is Amaziah. He's the new king of the southern kingdom of Judah, and he follows after the Lord in most areas, but then he commits acts of what you can call arrogant ambition, and this brings forth Judgment of God. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 14. In the second year of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, became king. His father was Joash. And in verse 2, it mentions his mother. Let's read verse 2. He... Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. And they give his mother's name, which was Jehoiadadan, and she lived in Jerusalem. You have to remember that he followed after his father. And in his father's later life that we studied in 2 Kings 12, he turned away from following the Lord. So this is the example that Amaziah has, a man not following the Lord. And I guess what it really amounts to is the importance of godly men in the lives of people, of children, looking at someone who is godly and they can follow after. Because usually they go the way of the parents. They go the way of what's happening. And it's very, very sad. It happened in my own life. I was not a godly man when I... I had my children. I was not a godly person, and I'm very sorrowful for that. It took a long time for the Lord to smack me around enough to where I finally came to my senses. And without his grace and mercy and Holy Spirit, I probably never will accept it, but I did. 
But I think godly men can be a huge example. And godly women, I'm not leaving you guys short, trust me. But godly men and women can be huge examples to younger people. And we need to think about that. Here you see Amaziah following the footsteps of his father. Look at verse 3. It says, Amaziah king, we read he did right in the sight of the Lord. And this is a good thing. Verse 3, and he, Amaziah, did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He did what was right. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. But, look at the next one, yet not like his father David, he did everything as his father Joash has done. So this kind of backs up my statement that godly men in the life of young people can be extremely important because they will go the way of their fathers. And here you have a prime example of going the way of his father, but not of his father David. Not of David. Amaziah made a great start to his kingship, but David seems to be the standard by which all kings are measured. David is the standard by which all kings now are measured because David was a man after God's own heart. David always had the God before him, even in the midst of his sin and his problem times. He always came back to the Lord, and he always tried to follow the Lord, as problematic as he may have been from time to time. So he becomes the standard held before all kings, whether they're in the northern kingdom or whether they're in the southern kingdom. He is the standard by which they're all measured. As I said, Amaziah had a great start in his kingship. But sadly, he's going to fall. And he's going to abandon the words. In other words, Amaziah did not have a heart towards the things of God like David. Instead, his commitment is half-hearted. And that's why I named today's study Half-Hearted Commitment. Amaziah has a half-hearted commitment. Why? Look at verse 4. However, the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. And I believe this is one of the reasons he fell, because of his half-hearted commitment to the Lord. He did right in the sight of the Lord, but his loyalty to the Lord only went so far. He was loyal to the Lord in these points but when you got here, he was not loyal to the Lord before. We spoke about the high places before. What were they? What were the high places? When we hear the word, they didn't take down the high places. What were they? They were places of worship. They were places of sacrifice. And where were they? In high places. They put them on mountains. They put them in very, very high places. So that's why they got the name high places. It's very simple. They were elevated pieces of ground. And although Solomon built the temple of God, he himself established idolatrous high places for his foreign wives. Remember we studied that in 1 Kings 11. And they never took them down. They never tore them down. Now the high places weren't necessarily all for idol worship. They played a major role in Israel's worship from time to time. And the earliest biblical mention of the site of worship called a high place is found in Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, Abram built altars for the Lord at Shechem in Hebron. He also built an altar for the Lord on a place called Moriah, Mount Moriah in Genesis 22. Anybody know what's sitting on Mount Moriah right now? 
the Dome of the Rock, sitting on Mount Moriah, Muslim church. I saw it. I touched it. Touched Mount Moriah. Jacob set up a stone pillar to the Lord in Bethel. Moses met God on Mount Sinai. Joshua set up stone pillars after crossing the Jordan, and they're considered a high place because the Israels came up to the higher ground. The high places were visited regularly by Samuel. They extended the period of Elijah. But God would name only one place where sacrifice was authorized. There was only one place where sacrifice was authorized, and that was the temple in Jerusalem. God commanded that all other places of sacrifice and worship be torn down. There was a commandment by God. We have read that both kings on both sides, southern and northern kingdom, did not destroy these places. What does that mean for us? How can we take this now? And I, this bothered me. I couldn't get past this scripture for some reason. Now, we've read about the high places several times. But it's interesting to me the way the Lord puts various things upon your heart at various times. What does it mean for us? What does it mean for us? We're not kings. We don't have the ability to tear down world's modern high places. Did God make a point of recording this fault of the kings for no reason at all? I don't think so. I don't think there's anything wasted in God's word. I don't think there's anything wasted. So what can we look about this? We have high places in our hearts. We have set up for ourselves in our hearts things that we worship. We have set up in our heart idols that we might worship. Things that we may call good and look good. Children, marriages, jobs, careers, etc., etc. We have set those things in our heart and they become high places because they become the object of our worship. Instead of letting God fill our hearts, let God completely take our hearts away, we have half-hearted commitment because we will only give ourselves to God so far. We only come so far to God and then we draw a line. I'm not crossing over this line. I'm only going to give you so much. And I think that's sad. And I'll speak for myself. I hide things in my heart and I think it's sad. And every time I try to repent of them and try to give them up to the Lord, it seems to be okay. But then I might grab one back every now and then. But what's the problem here? I'm giving back to God less than he gave me. Did God not give everything on the cross? Did he not give every single thing he had on that cross for us? Then why do we hold back? Why do we half-heartedly give our lives to Christ? Lord, I'm going to give my life to you as long as I get this, 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 and this. If I don't get this, 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 and this, hey, we're through. We're done. I set up high places in my heart. Every man does what is right in his own eyes. That was the slogan in Judges. Every single time you read something in Judges, everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. Do you have high places in your heart? Well, no, I don't have any high places in my heart. Well, be a David and say, Lord, search my heart. Search my heart. Find if there's any wicked way in me. Look at it within it. Take a close look. Do you have altars set up there? What gods are you serving? Are you serving mammon, money? 
Are you serving money or maybe you're serving popularity? I just want to be popular. Maybe you're serving that. Maybe there are other things in your life that you do worship alongside of God. I'm not trying to say you're not worshiping God. But you place other things in there. These are high places. In what ways do you worship God that detract from how he wants to be worshipped? Maybe you fall into the vain repetition in your prayer life. You're praying the same thing over and over and over again. It's, it talks against vain repetition. Maybe you present your works to him thinking you're going to get a little bit better advantage. Think you're going to get better? I don't know. But what's interesting to me is this subject came up. Can somebody tell me where this exact subject came up in the Gospel of John? Chapter 4. Who was in chapter 4? Jesus and the woman at the well. Jesus and the woman at the well was in chapter 4. What did she say to Jesus? I'll tell you. I'm going to read it to you. I'm glad you asked. She said, Our fathers worship on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. She was pointing to a high place. She was pointing to a high place in Samaria. Does that ring a bell? What was Samaria in the day that we're talking about right here in 2 Kings? It was the capital of Israel, northern kingdom. It was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. So this Samaritan woman is going to say, you Jews, you say we have to worship in Jerusalem. Our fathers say we have to worship up there. What was Jesus' answer? Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Why? What have we got that they didn't have here during this time? What have we been given when we accepted Jesus Christ that they didn't have at this time to worship in? The Holy Spirit. What does Paul say in Corinthians? Your body is the temple of God. Your body is the temple of God because God dwells within you. So when we worship, we can worship him in spirit and truth. We can worship him in righteousness because of what Jesus did on the cross recognizing it, that I'm not righteous in my own way. My own righteousness is filthy rags. But because of Jesus Christ, I can worship him in spirit and truth because I have the spirit within me. And the truth is I've been born again into an indescribable new hope. When you worship in spirits, it means you're concerned with spiritual realities. Not concerned with outward places or outward things or outward sacrifices or cleanings or trappings. Sounds like religion to me. When you worship in truth, means you're worshiping according to the whole counsel of God's word. That's why we at Calvary Chapel teach line by line, verse by verse, so you can get the entire counsel of God's word, the true revelation. It also means you come to God in truth, not in pretense, not in display of spirituality, not so people can go, oh, look how holy he is. You come to him real in truth, not in pretense. God hates pretense. We come to him in truth. Come as you are. I'm a sinner. I'm a wretched sinner. I've done wretched things in my life that I'm not proud of. 
But because of God's mercy and grace and because of what Jesus did on the cross and because of my believing in him, I've been saved and born again. And that's truth. It's truth in God's eyes. So Amaziah, Amaziah had a half-hearted commitment to the Lord. He only would commit himself to the Lord so much. And now that he's king, the first thing he does, if we go back to the chapter, the first thing he does, as most of the other kings did, time to settle the family business. <laughs> it's time to settle the family business. Look at verses 5 and 6. Now, it happened as soon as the kingdom was established in his hand, Amaziah, that he executed the servants and who murdered his father, the king. <laughs> settle the family business. The way we settle the family business in Israel was to kill everybody. Got rid of everybody that did you wrong. You know, sounds pretty familiar. But the children of the murderers he did not execute according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses in which the Lord commanded, saying, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor children to be put to death for their fathers, but a person shall be put to death for his own sin. What Amaziah did departs from the normal course of action, as we've read time and time and time again. Settling the family business means wiping out everybody, taking care of the entire clan. And that's what your newly crowned king does. He wipes out everybody. Why? So that he doesn't get wiped out. <laughs> if you kill all your enemies, if you get rid of all the people who don't like you, you can reign for a while, but you'll get more people who don't like you. This seems to have the Lord's approval. It seems to have the Lord's approval simply because he's honoring one of God's commandments. He's honoring a commandment. So it seems to have the Lord's approval. This is not what gets Amaziah in trouble, by the way. This is not what gets him in trouble. So he's king. Took care of the family business. And now he's ready to flex his muscle. He wants to flex his military might. Let's read 7. He killed 10,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt and took Selah by war and called its name Jokthiel to this day. Judah had previously lost territory to the Edomites back in 2 Kings 8. Amaziah wanted to reclaim this territory for Judah. This is a good thing, but here comes the problem. When we read in 2 Chronicles, now remember, 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles are parallel books. They cover a lot of the same material. But for some reason, 2 Chronicles goes into greater detail than 2 Kings. The writers of 2 Chronicles included much more meaty details than the writers of 2 Kings. It was God's plan. He goes the wrong way in this pursuit of getting this land. We read in 2 Chronicles, basically 25, if you're keeping notes. Instead of trusting in the Lord for the victory, he only had 300,000 guys and he didn't think it was enough. So he went out and hired mercenaries. You are Our time with you today has come to an end on a sure hope. But in our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue teaching through the book of 2 Kings. In the meantime, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for Assure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. 
If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We gather each week for a time of worship and Bible study. Our service times are Sundays at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. Feel free to give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit assurehoperadio.com for directions and more details. If you prefer email, go ahead and email us with any questions at info at capewatchradio.com. You might be interested in knowing that for those who aren't able to come in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live and on YouTube Live. Just look for a link on our website at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of 2 Kings. We're looking forward to the next edition as Pastor Dave will share more from this Old Testament book about the rise and fall of many kings. There are lessons to be learned about leaders who were just people. May what you hear give you a sure hope. Show. Sure.